Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome to Game Store Profits. This is episode 80 of the show where geeks get together to talk about God. My name's Luke Navarro. And my name is Mike Perna. Man, how you doing today? It's summertime, deep summer. <laughs> deep into summer. In the New Jersey. For some reason, I don't know, I've never been there, but I imagine that it's um, sweltering. You know, right now, it's not that bad, and that's partly because... It's 11 o'clock at night. That's part of it. This is true. Um, the other part of it is is that for, we've had a couple storms come through, and it's kind of we're we're in that kind of after the front kind of. I, I like that ionized air kind of a vibe. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's gonna get nasty again real quick. But right now, in this particular moment, it's not that bad. Well, I'm gonna have an interesting week here coming up. Uh, our family leaves tomorrow morning on vacation. We're heading up to Napa. Uh, every summer, we, we head up north. Uh, we rent up a at a little house and just chill as a family. Uh, but this time, we have a, a kind of a, a fun little thing attached to the end of it. There's this place up there. I forget exactly the name. Safari something. And so imagine this, right? You're staying on this huge animal preserve in canvas tents. But they're like canvas tents that are like, you know, they're like buildings almost. Uh, they have running water in them. They have uh, all the luxuries you can imagine in a tent, right? Think uh, think Harry Potter at the Quidditch game, right? And uh, so then we're going to take a three-hour trek on trucks to go and check out all of these animals. And it's actually, it'll be pretty warm uh, when we do that, so hopefully the animals aren't uh, you know, hunker down too much, but yeah, I'm having my little, uh, my little adventure coming up next, next week. I can imagine, uh, you know, an Indiana Jones movie or something like that. <laughs> I demand you wear the Indiana Jones hat. Oh, dude, that is my hat. I wear a hat that's very similar, uh, basically in all of my outdoor experiences. Uh, not, not quite as leather. Mine is more of a, I forget, it's an animal beaver something i don't know which one it is uh <laughs> but uh yeah it's pretty similar pretty similar i don't have a whip though because if i did i would seriously hurt myself speaking of, of outdoor activities man did you see a while ago i posted it to the tavern i i think i i tagged you in it when i you did, did it. tag me because i have a feeling i know what you're talking about the what's it called I, i've lost track of my battle mech names it's the mad cat that somebody... was that the, it was the Mad Cat or the Archer or Catapult. There's a, a, several that look kind of the same. Yeah, somebody yeah, built the Mad Cat. somebody built a battle mech in their backyard for their kids to play in, and I think that's gauntlet thrown. I think you need to build a battle mech for your girls. <laughs> well, unfortunately, my backyard is not that big, but yeah, this that was an impressive thing. What I want to know is, how did you get your kids that much into BattleTech? Like, obviously, Dad's a Battletech geek. That's fine. We That's understandable. But to have kids who would want to play in the thing? Well... That's impressive. <laughs> I mean, all you have to do... You don't have to talk about the fact that it's Battletech. You just tell them, look at this giant robot I built you I built a built giant you. robot? All right. Well, that, that, that's fine, too. I don't, I don't think the kids are sitting there talking about hard points and where the ammo's being stored. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think... I think for me, if I was going to build something in the backyard... It would totally have to be a hobbit hole. Lovely. Like, I just, I mean, I look, I am that guy. I want to live in Hobbiton. I'd even 
maybe kind of take like you know Bree, but <laughs> I I I want I love that like you know take you you're a English countryside and shrink it <laughs> to like you know four foot tall. That'd make me happy, and I'd be like a giant among men. <laughs> Navarro is actually another word for proudfoot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it, that Spanish translation. <laughs> that works for me. So, man, what what have you been playing lately? What I've been playing lately is well, kind of sparse. It really has been. I've a lot <laughs> of. I've been playing the. Uh, Gen Con fantasy game. <laughs> yeah. I've been playing the build your own Gen Con panel board. Right. I And uh, you know what? I, I think, for, I'm guessing that trying to maneuver through the schedule of Gen Con events is, you know, at least as difficult as a good solid Euro game. Uh, oh, most definitely. Or I would say a solid area control game. <laughs> Because you only have so many workers, and they have to be in so many different locations at the same time. So I, w- I would call Gen Con an area control game. But no, that, that's been most of my time has been uh, getting that together. Because I've got my own schedule, which involves making sure the booth is covered and g- getting interviews. I'm really hoping. I got in, con- in touch with the guys at Plaid Hat, and they said, come on over, we'll do an interview. I'm really hoping I can get Colby so I can fanboy like crazy. But So so there's me making contacts with people at the con for interviews and stuff like that. There is the stuff that I want to go to for po- other podcasting stuff, so that I can connect with other podcasters who have been doing this longer and or better than we do. And And above that, I have the panel, which, yeah... So my my schedule has been pretty intense lately with that, and so even even the regular gaming that I normally do, uh, like Netrunner Thursday and stuff like that, has kind of had been put on the back burner for different reasons. So I haven't really played much. I do still get in some some video gaming. I do get to play Smite, which is still a ton of fun. And oh, let's not even talk about Balloons Five. Do you know what balloons is? I don't know. what. Bal- I, I immediately want to know what balloons is, especially if there's five of them. Okay, so tower defense, tablet game, you know, run of the mill, right? There's about 18 zillion of these things. The enemies are balloons, and you are angry monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just need a minute. <laughs> you're, you're playing as, as angry monkeys. Okay, all right. I'm and in. Your, I'm your in. Monkeys start off just throwing darts, and then your monkeys get cannons and eventually helicopters and uh, superhero monkeys and things like that. But now look. Okay, let's be honest. Most mobile, we'll call them mobile, because you know I know that I've now entered into the Android world as well. So most mobile apps are fun for about an hour. (laughs) And then you throw them away and get a new one, right? Right. This game is like... It's like a Plants vs. Zombies, where it's just perfectly scaled. So you're like, every new level is a challenge. You know, and you never get to the point where you think, I got this game, it's not fun anymore. Every new level, every every new upgrade you get 
changes the dynamic. And uh, look, it's not very many great games on mobile, but this is just a good game, good game design. And, uh, you know, so uh, I've spent probably 60 or 70 hours playing it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that that's pretty much been the bulk of my, my game playing, has been, has been playing computer games and stuff like that. I can say that, you know, normally when, when, when people ask us, like, hey, can you recommend a good Bible game? Now, now Luke, I think we've both been over this before, but I'm just going to say definitively for myself, I usually say... There's no. no there's no such thing as a good Bible game. They're mostly just whitewashed, Bibleized versions of better games. Right. I'm continue. I I want to see where you're going. I'm on the edge of my seat now. Now, granted, I haven't played this yet, but I have seen the Kickstarter and I've seen the reviews from a lot of guys who I have a lot of respect for. And there's a game called Kings of Israel. I've heard of this. Kings Kings of Israel is it's it's pretty much a deep deep strategy game that takes place in Old Testament era Israel, and I have to say, only having a cursory knowledge of this game, it really looks good. Yeah, I'm down. You know, uh, I think there's a there's difference though, right? Because I, I when I looked at it, I got the vibe that it was that was just a setting, right? And it was a cool setting. Right, it was like when Assassin's Creed took us to Renaissance Italy, and we were like, "Whoa, we've never played a game in Renaissance Italy before. This is amazing!" Right, exactly. And I think yeah. I think it, this I think this goes by what I've been waiting for games to do for a while. Where instead of saying, "All right, we need a Bible game," how do we do this? This one said, "Let's make a really great game." Oh, and let's set it in the Bible kind of history and. I happen to have made contact with the gentleman who designed Kings of Israel, and I might be getting a review copy of Kings of Israel. Mm, very cool. Maybe we can get in some interview action as well. Just so happens that he and I are talking schedule, and I couldn't nail down a date because while he is not going to be at Gen Con, I am. And so I so said... future goodness to come. Future goodness to come... I will possibly be getting a review copy, and whether or not I get the review copy, we are going to tr- talk to him and get him on the podcast. So there's there's good things to behold. That's that's one thing that, that getting this panel together, because originally I was making contact to see if he could be on the panel. He couldn't do that because he's not going to be at Gen Con, but other goodness has come out of that. Nice. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But Luke, as as far as the right now, what have you been playing? Well, I, I've played two games that I don't think we've talked about on the show, and uh, they're, they're they're interesting. They got some things to talk about. So, the first one is Monopoly. All right, uh, that I, I know there's more coming to that. You can't just yes, uh, it's actually called Monopoly Express. Okay, and it is um, a dice game. So uh, imagine. Sparkle meets Monopoly. Wow. I, you're going to need to give me more than that because I can't really put those two together. <laughs> okay. Um, and actually, I suppose there are probably people who don't know what Farkle is. Farkle, you roll a lot of dice and try to get pairs and stuff and runs and things like that. Um, so what this is is 
you you get a board that is uh, a circular, and it has spaces for dice. And those spaces are marked in the same way that the Monopoly board is marked. So you'll have two blues that would be that would represent your two your park place and your boardwalk. Two browns, three reds. I think it's two reds, isn't it? Whatever it is. Uh, uh, you have your four railroads. You have your two utilities. And in the center, you have three uh, go-to-jail spots. You get a handful of dice. I don't exactly remember how many dice there are. But you roll them. And basically, if you get a go-to-jail, uh, that dice is locked and gets put in the center. And so it is a push-your-luck kind of thing. What you're trying to do is line up, uh, get the right combination of dice to get a a monopoly of the full set of colors or the railroads or the utilities, whatever. And each one is worth a different amount. Obviously, Park Place and Boardwalk are worth more, and they are represented less on the dice. Um, And so you're rolling. You can continue to roll as often as you'd like until you get the three go-to-jails and then your turn is over and you lose any points you would have accumulated on that turn. Uh, At the end of the turn, if you don't, if you stop voluntarily, you have the option to score your board. Uh, The way you score your board is you you score all of your monopolies and then your highest non-monopoly and you play to a certain number of points. There's one more dynamic and that is the dynamic of houses and hotels. Uh, if you get a Monopoly, you can choose to roll uh, the Monopoly die with your next roll. And that die has a couple of different options on it. Uh, one is earn a house. If you earn a house, you take one of the four houses in the game, you keep that, and that is persistent with you throughout the rest of the game, and that house scores uh, each round. Uh, you can also by rolling that dice, you can lose that house. You can remove a go-to-jail marker. You can cancel a go-to-jail marker. So that, again, allows you to roll more so that you can uh, hopefully complete some more monopolies on your turn. Or you can get a hotel. And the hotel uh, is a huge score, but it's essentially meaningless because the only way you can activate the hotel is if you control all four Uh, houses in the game. Very unlikely. So, uh, you basically roll, you go around, you score, you add up your scores, you get to where you want to go. You with me? I'm with you. I'm trying to see the fun in it. Oh, there's no fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, then this makes complete sense to me now. (laughs) You know, uh, so it, bas- it just, basically does exactly sound like Farkle, and I'm, if I'm going to be playing that type of game, I might as well just be playing Farkle. Well, it is similar to Farkle, except for instead of using the number on the die, you're using the colors on the die. There are some other things in there. There's a, a, a Go Pass Go on the die. You get some extra money if you get that. Um, but there's a couple of problems uh, with the game. One... I did not do well. I don't know. Maybe it's because I have some inherent allergy to Monopoly, but uh, it just didn't work for me. Uh, Everybody else had a medium amount of fun. 
Uh, but nobody was like, there's no yelling and cheering and screaming and happy moments in this game. It's basically just a push-your-luck, roll-some-dice game. Now, here's the thing. Because it has all this added complexity of the monopolies and the houses and those kind of things, you do need to understand the rules. And the rules are really, really poorly written. Oh, like regular Monopoly. Okay, <laughs> I, I swear, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my own advice from the article I wrote like a month ago, and I'm going to stop busting on Monopoly. But there are just so uh, many better games. But there was probably three, four, maybe even five times where we kind of came across spots where we were like, hmm, what happens now? We don't know, and it's not in the rules, so we're going to have to discuss this and just decide how it's going to be from here on out. That said, I mean, it's okay. I wouldn't spend money on it. Eh, it's Monopoly Express, which is good, because normally Monopoly is Monopoly Epic. Yeah. Now, now, did you find that you were having a hard time because you just pushed your luck too hard? Uh, no, I was having... Look, here's the thing, is... On a game like this, where you're not just running one through six, okay, each of these dies is different, and the uh, there's too many n- n- colors and options to be able to deduce what your odds are. You can kind of look at it and think through. You can sort of. You're not allowed to pick up the dice. You're not allowed to move the dice. So you can kind of look on the sides of the dice to see what might come up if you re-roll. But really, there's there's not enough data to be able to make good strategic decisions. And so it just comes down to dumb luck, what you happen to roll. Uh, and this is something I you know that has been going back and forth in my head a lot lately. And and it does apply to the next game I want to talk to as well, talk about as well. But you have to to make a great game. You really is about managing player choices, and you have to give that player just the butter zone of information to make those choices both meaningful and comprehensible. This game. There was not enough data. You didn't know, should I keep rolling or should I stick with what I have? There wasn't enough to see to be able to go, okay, well, I'm going to do this and and plot. And yeah, this gives me about a 50% chance of getting this. But if I stick with this, I'll get this many more points. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I, I, I'm automatically thinking of something like, like uh, King of Tokyo. Because King of Tokyo is all about rolling dice and picking the ones you want and which ones you want to roll again. But King of Tokyo has there's a limited like three faces on the die. Maybe Right. Like there's a limited there's a limited number of options. You're either getting numbers, hearts, energy, or attack. Right. And you can based on what your first roll did, you can generally figure out which type of thing you're hoping for next. And also, there's outside forces which kind of dictate what decisions you should make. If you're you know, if you're in Tokyo and you've got, like, four health left, you should probably look to make sure that you survive. Or maybe say you just got out of Tokyo and you have, like, one health left. Roll hearts. There's nothing right. else in the game for you. You roll hearts. So, you know, there's other factors which kind of mitigate the 
alright, we'll just roll them and see what we get kind of action of that game. Whereas it seems like this one is just like, eh, okay. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying there is no choice to make. It's just that the choices are obscured a little bit more than you would want them to be. And that makes it less of a good game. The second game I want to talk about is a game called Masquerade. Oh, I love that game. I love that game so much. <laughs> okay, so you've heard about it, so that's good. Um, Masquerade is... It's Chaos it's a in hidden, a Box. It's a hidden role game. <laughs> chaos in a Box, that's a good... Well, I, I talked about it I talked about it from Gen Con last year, because that was one of the games that I was looking forward to, because it was a Bruno Fiduti game. Okay, I, didn't re- I don't remember you talking about that, but uh, for those who are listening who also don't remember him talking well, about it. Well, it was a full year ago. I'm not, uh, you know. The game, uh, each player is given a, a roll card, okay? And I, I think the only role that doubles is the role of the peasant. There are two of those. Yeah, and you're probably not playing them unless you have a full group anyway, so. Um, and each of the other roles is unique. And uh, basically, the mechanism is in the game is there's money. And your goal is to get to... I think it was 14 money, something like that. You start with six, and if you get to 14, you win. Now, different characters do different things. Uh, say the peasant. The peasant can harvest one money every turn. The queen can harvest two. The king can harvest three. Here's the, the, uh, the game, though. <laughs> After everybody's cards are distributed, you place them face up, you look around and see who everybody is. You then flip your cards over. You then began playing. Now, the first four turns of the game have to be character switches. So here's what happens. You reach across, you point to another player, you take their card. You take your card, and under the table, probably, in a hidden way, you shuffle. You then give back a, one of the cards to that other player. What everybody doesn't know is whether or not you actually switched cards. Okay? This happens four times to start the game. So the cards have been good and truly shuffled. Uh, You have only percentage possibilities of what everybody has. You then go around claiming a role and uh, doing whatever that role says. And some of them are are, you know, the traditional kind of, well, I'm going to switch fortunes with you, or I'm going to switch roles with you, or, uh, you know, stuff. <laughs> I'm going to force you two to change, car- change cards. Um, and, it, you, as you said, it was pretty chaotic. Uh, because you don't even know who you are. Unlike uh, a game like Werewolf, uh, One Night Werewolf, or... Avalon, uh, you don't know who you are. And so it's kind of like playing the drunk in uh, One Night Werewolf, but everybody's drunk. Uh, you may find out, because at times uh, you can get called out, uh, a la coup or Scalawag, uh, and you have to flip your card to show who you really are. Uh, those, The one calling out has to do the same thing. And so this game really is about way more than any of these other kind of games, tracking. Okay, this is three-card Monty with seven cards. And, you know, that's hard to do. 
This is basically Vicini in Princess Bride saying, clearly right. I cannot choose the, the cup in front of you because you know that I've known the 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 origin of your card and therefore... <laughs> right. Um, and so this kind of takes me to something that has been weighing on me lately with regards to, to board games. And I, I mentioned it in a previous show, but I want to bring it up again. And it kind of comes back to this idea that we were talking about earlier where the the crux of a good game is about the game giving the player choices. And those choices need to be comprehensible. You need to be able to look at those choices and have a decent idea of the risk and benefit that you are going to get depending on which choice you make. Okay? I don't think that's, that's in any way mind-blowing. Now, a good game makes that... Okay, let, let me rephrase. In my opinion, a good game makes that choice clear. A not-so-good game obscures that choice. Don't edit that, by the way. I'm, I'm, there's not, I'm, even if you didn't ask me to, I, there's no way I would edit that out. <laughs> now, some people will, will disagree with me. You know, big Euro games that are super complex, there's 18,000 things going, that makes that less comprehensible, and sometimes people like that. Or, again, another way that could be less comprehensible is a higher degree of randomness. But here's the thing that bothers me, okay? Regardless of whether I happen to like a certain kind of game, or I, I think a game is good, or I think a game is bad, based on this principle. And that is the idea that intelligence tracks. Because the simple fact of the matter is that in a game like Masquerade, is if you can keep more data in your brain than the guy next to you, you have a better chance of winning. Now, we could argue, well, of course, that's every board game. That's every card game. You know, the poker player who can track what cards have been played and what how people have acted in the past are going to be better than somebody who can't do that. The blackjack player is going to be able to count the cards, essentially, and know, have a better chance of knowing what the odds are moving forward, what the rolling odds are moving forward. The chess player, who is better at projecting movements into the future, is going to win. They're going to be better. But here's the thing. I don't like poker, I don't like blackjack, <laughs> and I don't like chess. <laughs> because of that, because I, when I play a board game, I don't want to play a mental battle. Now, when I play a war game, I want to play a mental battle. But when I play a board game, I don't. I, I want it to be about uh, a competition for resources. I want it to be about dice rolls. I want it to be about uh, uh, bold decisions. I want it to be a, more, more of an adventure than an intellectual battle, if that makes sense. And that's something that I've, I've, for some reason, it's just been bugging me lately. Because I've been playing a lot of games that are very intellectual. And I see people who can't track. They just don't have that ability. And people who can, even better than I can. And they do better. And for me, it's problematic. Well, I, I would agree as a rule, but not when it comes to Masquerade. 
And there's a couple reasons why I would say that when it comes to Masquerade. One, because I, I can say this, not saying that I've seen it done with other people, which I have, but saying is I've done this. When you pick up your cards and you start switching them around, now granted, you can go flip, flip, and just be done. But what's the fun in that? There are times when you start flipping and you go, oh, am I doing it? Am I, am I changing? Am I switching? Am I keeping them the same? And then after a while you start going, crap, which one was mine? Yeah, well, there is that. And and there have I have seen countless moments in games of Masquerade. I've played a full 13-player Masquerade game. Good lord. And I will say for a fact that after a while, I have seen multiple occasions where one person says, you're not so-and-so because uh, I'm, I'm so-and-so, so you can't be. And they flip and neither one of them is. And it turns out somebody else on the other side of the table got that card. And they're left going, how did, how, I, I know that I hit. And, there's well, that. I, and I, even as we played the game, we all agreed it would be a much better game with more people. Because we played with five. Okay. And with five people, it's trackable. It's it's hard to do, but it's trackable. And you can at least know, all right, well, there's a 50% chance that this person has this. There's a 50% chance, well, now there's a 25% that the, this is this and this. And you can kind of keep track in your head what the chances were of every, who everybody was. And then when a card was revealed, you could then eliminate that and, and figure out by deduction who the other people were. So I totally agree with you that by playing with that many people, it would become untrackable. I, I usually, like, I, usually know, I usually play with six. Six and up is when yeah. I, I usually play Masquerade. And I, can, I have played with four and had successful games, but yeah, on as a rule, I'm usually around six and up. Yeah, and... And and even the name of the game, it it tends to imply that, right? It's the idea that you're at this masquerade ball, and there's all of these people, and you don't know who everybody is. Well, if you went to a masquerade ball with three people, it wouldn't be all that exciting. You right. know, it's all about the giant crowd, and so um, I, I and so this is one of those games where I, I've said it a thousand times. Can you play this game with four people? Yes. Does it say on the box you can play with four people? Yes. That's not right. <laughs> well, it also says you can play with three with special rules. And, yeah. And that... No, don't do that, you know? Yeah. Like, either that or we need to start double labeling boxes. Like, <laughs> you can play with this many people, but you shouldn't. Not recommended. <laughs> right. Recommended for this many people. Well, there, there's uh, a reason why the listings on Board Game Geek have recommended players versus number right, of players. Right, but they don't have that on the box. So unless <laughs> you're going to pull up your phone and look at a game before you start playing it. This is true. Uh, you know, I think that's it's problematic. And now, for me, now I have this a, kind of a negative taste in my mouth for this game. Where if I would have played with eight people, it probably would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, I've I've straight up told people I'm like you can track it and you you can you know you might have some success with that. The fun of this game is just just enjoying the fact that you're throwing cards around and just tossing accusations into the wind. That's that's the best way to play that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Well, man, I know that you have uh, coming up here. I mean, look, I know you're busy. I get that. Next couple it's of true. weeks are going to be crazy for you, but I know. You've also got a new project underway. Uh, you'll have to be more specific. I've got a couple of them. Uh, a new gaming-related 
pro- a new gaming group related project. Yes. How about that? <laughs> there it is. It's narrowed down. Yes, my my wife in her infinite wisdom has decided that not only is gaming a important part of this ministry, is an important part of you know what I I do and what I enjoy. She actually pretty much said to me that it would be better for me. It would be good for me if I got more gaming into my life, which is proof that my wife is one, an absolutely wonderful and lovely lady. And two is just getting to know me better with each passing day. (laughs) What has come down is the, I, I would say it's the foundation of a weekly gaming get together. We plan on invading our friendly local gaming store. Uh, Their normal board game nights are usually like Wednesday or Thursday. We're going to just invade on Wednesday nights. I'm going to bring a couple of my games. A couple buddies are also going to bring their games. And we're just going to throw down. Apparently the store has gotten into the habit of keeping the doors open late. If there's a good enough crowd. So we don't have to worry about it closing. And uh, it's... I'm hoping this is going to be a good thing. I'm hoping this is going to be, one, a good, it's a good way to get content in because I've lost track of, I mean, granted, there's been Gen Con, but there have been a handful of weeks now where we're recording and I'm like, what are you playing now? Uh, things. So I'm hoping that this gets a more stream, a more consistent stream of gaming into my life. But uh, I also hope that it's going to be able to connect with some people and to to really build the hobby in the area. I'm looking forward to it a lot. That's great. You know I'm a big fan of uh, having a regular gaming group. Uh, our group does meet at our friendly local game store, which is not very local for me, but it is for most of them. Uh, but nothing is very local for me, so such is my life. Yeah, you live out, out in, the, in the woods. Eh, it's fields, really. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd love to live out in the woods, though. Let's go even farther. That's... Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, one of these days I'm not going to be like, get off my lawn, I'm going to be like, <laughs> you know, bullhorning, don't cross the fence. <laughs> <laughs> the signs are there for a reason. I love um, it. Yeah, our group is uh, is interesting. Um, I don't. Maybe folks don't know, uh, but most people think of Monterey just as a tourist de- destination, but, um, you know, the two things that are really kind of most prevalent in Monterey are education and military. And sometimes both at the same time. Uh, We have three colleges, big colleges, um, and we have, uh, in addition to that, we have uh, Military's Defense Language Institute. So all of the, all of our military who needs to speak another language because they're, you know, spies and stuff, have to come here and learn how to do that. Uh, but what that means is we have an awful lot of transition. Um, anybody who's led a church in an area like this understands what that's about. Uh, soldiers don't ever stay in one place very long. Students don't tend to stay in one place for very long. And so uh, our group, uh, you know, kind of every as every summer-ish rolls around essentially becomes, you know, a third to two-thirds new. And that's kind of a bummer, in a way. But it's also a good opportunity. You know, somebody like me, who I'm not here for either education or military, I'm permanent in the group. Um, 
And one of the things that, that I think is important to this ministry and really is important to our ministries in general, just as Christians, is that we will always do... No, let me rephrase that. We should, ought to, <laughs> always be doing more ministry outside of our church than we are inside of our church. Right. And uh, I promise you this, that if you allow him, God will use you in ways that will surprise you more outside of your church than inside of your church. Because let's be honest, Jesus said it himself. He didn't come here for those who were well. He came for the sick. Uh, it, we, we who already know the gospel, when we get together, we're just worshiping together. We're, we're excited together. But there's a lot of folks who don't know that Jesus came and died for them. And even those who do, maybe don't understand it. Then maybe they, they see, even feel negatively about it. But uh, we have the opportunity in you know, our workplaces and the, our kids' extracurricular activities and our hobbies and uh, the things that we love doing, our community involvement, to, to really be there to be ambassadors for Christ. And as much as it bums me out that some of my favorite game-playing partners aren't there or aren't going to be there anymore, um, you know, with every new person that comes, that's a new relationship that maybe God will use for something. Well, I, I can definitely agree with that, and it, it jives a lot with what I'm kind of hoping for this group, because right now I've been working with some people, I can definitely say that there are some people who weren't gamers before I met them who kind of have become gamers in the process of hanging out with me and playing games with me. Uh, they've all built up their own little uh, collections. Heck, my one buddy has a, a traveling case similar to my own that he brings his games in. So, I mean, it's happening. But at the same point, there's a lot of, those, a lot of these people... I, I almost view them like what, what what it must have been like to be in the early church when there's just like the disciples because everyone's kind of relying on them to do stuff and right now it's it's me and I'm saying oh, well, well here here's this here's the games here's knowledge of what it means to be in this hobby this is what you know the different types of gaming this is the the impact of gaming this is the importance of gaming now go and they're like okay, what game are we going to play next? I said, no, no, no. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that when we get this this game group together, I, I kind of, on Facebook, I pretty much put up a, a status a while back where it's kind of a resolution that I'm having. I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but apparently the regular kind I'm fine with. And, and my resolution was basically to say, <laughs> I want to train up gamers that will teach me new games. Because right now, if a new game is being taught, 99% of the time, it's me. Because I'm the one that's getting the new games, that's bringing the new games to events, the one who's teaching other people. I want to be taught a new game. Because all you have to do is, uh, if you're looking for reviews, you know we, we'll talk about the Dice Tower till we're blue in the face, that you should be checking out their YouTube and, and all this other stuff that they put out there. I... I lose track of the number of games that they review that are coming out. There's a, a constant stream of yeah, games coming there's out. There's a lot of games. And I don't care how deep you are in the hobby, 
no one can play all these games. No one person has the ability to play and let alone purchase all these games. And so the idea of, of bringing in more people who will go to that level, bringing in more people who will, will get to that point where they bring stuff in and they're teaching the people who taught them. I mean, this is, you know, to, to kick it to that spiritual level, this is what discipleship is. It's the idea of you, you bring people in and train them up to be where you are, if not above you. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Um, because we are looking at it in two different ways. Um, and and this, this ministry, Inroads Ministries, more than Game Store Profits, but Inroads Ministries... Uh, does have to look at it in both from both sides. The one is, how do we take our fellow Christians and train them? Right. To because there's not there's out. not a lot of people who are doing what we're doing. Uh, and that's not to say that so we're the, fantastic at it, but it's just simply there's just right. a lack of it out there in a form in a formal sense anyway. Absolutely. Um, and then there's the other side uh, that has been more about my journey. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too inside baseball here, but here's the thing. is I was a pastor for 13 years, and I started full-time in ministry. I Was I 17? 18? Yeah, I think I was 17, maybe I was 18. Uh, something like that. Really young. <laughs> um... And the thing is, is that, yes, was I working for Christ? Of course I was. But, as such a young man, starting into ministry, in a lot of ways, my vision turned inward. Because I was a pastor, and my job was to care for the flock. And for essentially all of my adult life, I was focused in. And the church and the things surrounding the church were my whole life. Well, some of you know that about four or five years ago I left ministry, and or pastoral ministry. And since then, uh, of course at the, the beginning I was kind of a little bit dazed and confused, and like, hey, what do I do with all this now? But now I find myself more and more often trying to set up my life so that I have way more outward focus. Uh, and don't get me wrong, folks, if you're listening and you're serving at your church, awesome. Good on you, man. We really need that. But uh, for me, it's just a new experience. You know, uh, I became a believer. I was super excited. And within two, three years, I was a pastor. That was, I mean, boom. It, you know, I never got that opportunity. Well, opportunity is the wrong word. But I never spent the time to do the kind of outward evangelism and love and time spent with the people who Jesus would have spent their time, his time with. Uh, and so for me, it's kind of an exciting path. Where, like, now, hey, look, I'm interacting with all kinds of people from outside the church. I never <laughs> did that before. We'll it's exciting. <laughs> you know? A lot of people outside the church. Well, and that's the point, right? And, it, you know, we are... We are only a, a very small handful of people. And so the number of people that you and I and the other people who are involved with 
Inroads Ministries can actually right. connect with is pretty small. And even if we even if we expand our ministries and even if we grow, the direct connection is still going to be pretty small. It's just the nature of life. Uh, and so we want to encourage everyone that you can get out there and do the same thing. You know, Mike, you talked about building your gaming group and the fact that you're having to do all the teaching. And man, does that remind me of starting a church. Well, heck, I've, right. I've only worked in established churches. I, I wasn't a church planter. I've only worked in established churches, but I still feel it too. After a while, you just, <laughs> you know, it's the old 80-20 rule, 80% of the work done by 20% of the people. And, right. And, you know, one of the cool things about this ministry in particular, you know, we are, we have said, look, we know we are this tiny little niche group of people. This may be bigger than we expect, but it's still a little niche group of people. But these are people who need us to go to them. They're, they're not coming to us. It's not going to happen. And so we have to go to them. And so what we're doing when we talk about Inroads Ministries is, is we are training up missionaries. And, you know, that's the right word for this. We are missionaries. We are evangelists who are going out there and learning the language of games, the culture of games, to reach a a unique subculture of people. You know, it's really not any different than somebody who decides, I'm going to go and spend my life in Timbuktu, you know, and minister there. Uh, what we're asking our listeners to do is to move in that direction. And, you know, I, I think about you talking about how to teach a board game. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people who would say, well, teaching a board game, I don't see how that's an act of faith in any way. Yeah, but it's, you know what, how is that any different about being the kind of person who can go to a group of strangers and say, hey, I'm going to teach you this game, and let's play it together. That's no different than a doctor going overseas to do some care amongst people who are underserved so that they have the opportunity to share the gospel with that person. Teaching somebody a board game so that you have the opportunity to build a relationship with them so that you can share the gospel with them, they are the same thing. They may look different on the outside, but they are the same thing. Yeah, I it was it was fairly recently that I just thinking through the the processes of growing up in the faith and some of the things that we've been teaching in churches since well, obviously longer than I've been able to be receiving that teaching and basically since the beginning of the church the, the different different techniques that we've used to to try and grow people in the faith now, granted, there there are differences between from person to person and and region to region, but generally there are certain things that you see happening in churches all over the place. And I promise you, you'd be amazed if you really thought about it and you thought about the last time you taught a board game. And I'm not talking about like here are the rules, here are the rules, just here, just whatever. I'm talking about really working with a person so that they leave with an understanding not only of what where their piece needed to go, but why they moved there, 
and, and granted the strategy and, and, and really got into the meat of it. The last time you did that, I promise you that it's a, very similar to some of these techniques that we bring to churches to get people to think deeply about their faith and to go to that next level of their faith. I mean, or to be introduced to the faith for that. Right. Part. Not, I mean, again, I don't want to be, you know, saying this stuff to be self-serving, but I did check out the article that I, I just wrote not that long ago. Uh, it, I really, I entitled it go into all the world. And that's the reason I basically looked at some rules that I have for me personally, when I'm teaching people new board games. And I just saw how these same rules apply to getting people to go deeper in their faith. It's the same process, and just as all of us are called to to make disciples, you can do that with your games, and you can use the games to make disciples, because they all come together. And I'm going to try very hard not to yell and scream and wake up my, my wife right now, because I get really excited about this stuff. You know, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, and all of these things, there's so many mental blocks that we have. Let's say we can't do this. Yes, we can. It's really not that hard. It's not that hard to explain a board game. And it's not that hard to invite somebody to, to, into a relationship with Jesus. You know, all you have to do is share your own story. All we have to do is share the simple gospel. The idea that God's own son was born, that he lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross specifically for our sins, and that he rose again, and that if you believe in him, your sins will be forgiven, you will have the Holy Spirit indwell in you, and you will live eternally with Jesus. That's it. That's all there is to it. And But we have so many mental blocks that say, not us. Let the professionals do it. <laughs> Mike, you teach the games. We're not going to teach. You teach. You're the man. Well, you know what? We, we got to get, we have to get through that. Because let's be honest, there aren't too many of us professionals around anymore. There are fewer and fewer every year. And, uh, you know, that's okay. Because I'm a big fan of the amateur. And, you know, I, I think that that the idea that we just get out and put ourselves out there is so hard for us. And I get it, because like I said earlier, it's new for me to be outward focused. I get that. I, I struggle with it. I'm learning how to do it. But it's important that we take this. And, and you know what? Hey, the fact that we can play board games, it's a really easy way to connect with people. Who knows who's going to show up at your group, Mike? Some guy who's just in there because he needed some paint for a Space Marines. <laughs> it's like, man, I won't play that. So he sits down and he plays a game with you, and you never know. That night, you may lead that guy to Christ. It could happen. It does happen everywhere, all the time. Yeah. It's it's amazing what happens when you just shut up, get out of the way, and let God use the everyday stuff, the stuff that we like, the stuff that we enjoy, even the, the silly things that we do in our spare time and our, our, our free time, and just watch as he does amazing things with it. And, you know, 
we even call it silly because we understand that that's what it is but you know what god god made the silly mhm I, I i wish that we could all get the idea out of our head that that god only cares about the big stuff <laughs> you know that god only created the big stuff that you know and and we've had that for so long right that we you know god is in the orchestras not in the rock bands uh, but the thing is is that's wrong yeah any god who gives us god. who gives us the duck-billed platypus is, is a god who understands a good joke is all i'm saying so <laughs> i'm saying uh, you know that that can you imagine that god in his wisdom designed us us being all humans, but us being especially the weirdos who are listening to this show and who are making this show. <laughs> God designed us to play a game. That was important to him. And he made it so that we could do it. And we would want to. And it would get us excited. And when we played that game, we would see him in it. And we would make new friends because of it. New friends who could hear his gospel. That, that's awesome to me. And any, anyone who wants to think, and nobody does this intentionally, but a lot of times we do it subconsciously, that God doesn't care about these little strange things in our life, your God's too small. Because God is big enough to care about board games. And he's certainly big enough to care about you. And he's certainly big enough to care about the person who's sitting across the table playing a board game with you. And, you know, you have an opportunity coming up in a couple of weeks here, Mike, to go to Gen Con. And you are going to be talking. You, you've got a panel about faith in gaming. Yep. Uh, and I know you've got a couple of folks lined up for that panel uh, already. Yep. Um, why don't you tell us about some of who those folks are? Uh, well, one of them has been on the show, and he is a, fe- a friend of the show. He is the guy I, I stay in his hotel room. The geek preacher, Derek White, is going to be on the panel this year. Last year he hosted it. This year he's on it. Uh, next year he's probably getting soft drinks for people. Like, he's got a downward slope. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but really looking forward to having him on there. Uh... I can never... I, I always stumble on his name. I always want to put letters where they're not supposed to. Frank Menser is going to be on it and his wow I, I just just google his name because I promise you you will get a string of Dungeons and Dragons and TSR and and just the dude the dude helped make D&D what it is today and the fact that you know I'm going to be hosting a panel that he's on is just ridiculous to me uh, we also have and I've I've never had to say this gentleman's name out loud, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly or if it's got some kind of weird pronunciation to it. It's spelled O D E. It's Chris Ode. I'm gonna go with Ode. Uh, he, Seems right. He is one of the producers on the Dark Dungeons movie that is coming out at Gen Con. Uh, he is he when I asked him for his title, he referred to himself as the spiritual advisor for the film. And uh, he is a pastor who games, and I'm really looking forward to hearing 
more from him. I, I one of the things that we're going to put out after Gen Con is a direct interview with me and him, but he's also going to be on the panel. And so, yeah, really looking forward to getting to know this guy because it just seems like it'll be a really good thing to to hear from him about this project. Very cool. And folks, if you're interested in what we're going to be doing a Gen Con. Uh, one of the ways you can do that is just by following Mike. How do you follow Mike? It's easy. You go to inroadsministries.com slash contact and find every way possible <laughs> that you can f- follow Mike and myself as well, though I don't know why you'd want to. But if you did, you could. And you will find all kinds of stuff there. And also, hang out at inroadsministries.com. Check out the articles. Check out everything we got going on. We got games happening. I, the uh, the play by post is um, extraordinary. I think extraordinary is the proper word. I'm loving our play by post. Uh, Jeff has proven himself to not only be a adequate DM but an outstanding DM. Yeah, I am looking forward to my chance to play with him, which is going to be coming up here pretty soon in about a month. How are we gonna How are we gonna tease this? We don't want to give away too much. How are we gonna tease this? Well, let's just say it's live play. How about that? And it's brand new. And it is brand new. And if you can't figure out what that is, you're slow. <laughs> but that's all right. <laughs> um, and uh, you can check out all the things we're doing. We've you've got a, some great events coming up. Um, the uh, the Child's Play uh, no. thing that you guys are yeah, doing. Yeah, it's Extra Life. Extra Life, that's the one it um, is. Oh, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to do a Child's Play event, and I'm sure that at some point in the future we will do a Child's Play event. This one, however, is for Extra Life. Uh, that one happens so, October 23rd. Yes, October 23rd. And uh, there's stuff up on our site. You can sign up a team. You can sign up to be part of uh, Team Inroads regulars. You do not have to be at our local event here in New Jersey to be part of our team because all the donations and all of the of everything happens on the internet on the extra life site. So if you want to be part of our team and you don't mind the fact that the money you collect goes to help a, a hospital here in New Jersey, then sign up for our team. If you're like, Mike, I really want to be a part of this. I want to do what inroads is doing, but I have a local children's hospital that I want to play for sign up a team Get yourself some players and just email us at contact at inroadsministries.com with the name of your team and a link to your team's page. Because if we if we have a number of teams playing for this, I will put up a page on our site listing all the different teams so that people can get connected and can support the teams that are going out there. I would love it um, if, like right now, our our goal right here in our local team is to collect fifteen hundred dollars. We collected fourteen hundred last year. Our goal was a thousand dollars last year, and we crushed it. So my goal is that, that to to get at least fifteen hundred dollars this year in our local team. But I would love it if we could get a bunch of teams happening tied to inroads, and we that we could say that throughout the country thousands of dollars are going out to local children's hospitals. I would love to do that. That would be awesome. And uh, folks, encourage you to, to check us out, do that, and remember that God is the Game Master. And no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.